This program, Wala Asr, is a program that um, some time ago, uh, myself, Mufti Wasim Khan, Sheikh Arsalan Haq, Imam Azar Subadar, and uh, our own dear Sheikh Yasser Qadi, uh, we got together and we discussed this uh, program. And uh, Sheikh Yasser Qadi made it very clear uh, at the time of setting this program that um, he would try his best to, uh, to be here. His schedule was very uh, uncertain. Um, but he said, inshallah, he will be here for the program if he is here. We know he's in Umrah. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept his Umrah. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring him back uh, to us, inshallah, with uh, afiyah. And, um, and we also found out that one of the other speakers, Imam Azhar Subadar, the, the resident Imam of the West Plain of Masjid, uh, he also is out of town with his family. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring him back with afiyah too. Amin rabbil alameen. So inshallah, today we have, uh, you have... Um, the, the three of us with, uh, with everyone here. And the name of the program is Wala Asr. And the reason why we chose this name is because even though this, the, time, the, the subject of time is something that has been discussed many times in the Quran, is be, this has been discussed in the Sunnah of the Prophet and it has been discussed in lectures and khutbs and so forth. However, it is such a very important talk because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears upon time. Allah would not swear upon something if it was of not great importance. So therefore we decided to make this and the fact that today is January 1st, the first day of the year. Um, so therefore we thought it might be wise to talk about this. And of course we have, I don't need to introduce our speakers today. Uh, one is uh, Mufti Wasim Khan. He is uh, officially uh, the consultant of uh, the West Plain Masjid, also the founder of Isra Foundation. And then we also have Sheikh Arsalan Haq, uh, who is the resident scholar of the West Plain of Masjid and mashallah running a very robust uh, program when it comes to Taqwa Seminary. Please go and do check out uh, Taqwa Seminary and see the great work that they're doing. So um, before I begin, uh, just inshallah, I do want to ask, um, uh, the way I'm going to do this is I will ask uh, each of them a question inshallah they will be answering but then we're going to keep it a little casual inshallah and in the middle also if anyone has any questions um, please you know you can always send me a text uh, majority of you have my personal number um, it, uh, if you don't um, get it from someone else I don't want to announce it right now here <laughs> but um, you have my personal number just text me inshallah um, brothers or sisters uh, or anyone who's watching, uh, inshallah, will have one of our two shuyukh, uh answer them. So the very first question I have uh, to both of you is, uh, and please, e either one of you can go first, is that in this past one year, you know, one thing that we've seen is that time affects everyone. Uh, even in the, you know, there's a hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, where although the hadith has its authenticity has been questioned, at times, um, but there was a story about the Prophet ﷺ walking past a man who was praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in, in his praise of Allah, he mentions something very interesting. He says, Wala Allah subhanahu does not fear the passing of time. Because passing of time affects all of us in certain ways. So now, my question to you is, to both of you is, in this one last year, it's been a really, it's been a roller coaster year. Of course, COVID started um, back um, in 2020. We just finished 2021. But if I were to ask both of you, you both are leaders of the community. You both interact heavily with, uh, heavily with others. Um, you talk to others. You're, you have contacts, mashallah, across the nation. 
If I were to ask you that, what is one issue that you have seen that has emerged in the Muslim community um, that you feel like that it's a serious challenge, what would that be and then what would be the solution to that? So. Before going into the discussion uh, that Sheikh has asked, just a quick um, moment to reflect on the theme and just so that we can just set the tone. Um, and I want to go through it a little quickly just so that I can get to the Sheikh's question, inshallah. Allah begins by saying, Asr." I swear by time. How many of y'all understand Arabic over here? Raise your hand if you understand Arabic. Okay, how many ways can you say time in Arabic? Waqt, Sa'a, Dahar, Mi'ad, Maw'id, Qaran, Zaman, Ahad. There's a bunch of ways. But why use the word Asr out of all the words? Because Allah is very meticulous, right? And when we say the Quran is a miracle, then it means by definition that nothing can be replicated. So now, I had this question as a student uh, when I was studying Mukhtasul Ma'ani, a book in Arabic rhetoric, that just saying, I swear by time, I mean, anyone can say this, I swear by the clock, I swear by uh, a moment, anyone can replicate this. What's the uniqueness of this specific word? So then the teacher expounded and he said, the word Asr in Arabic comes from the word Asir, which means juice. Um, and the only way juice can be extracted is if it's completely squeezed and every element is pushed to its limits, then it will extract and give you some benefit from it. And that is the similitude of time. That if we squeeze the time and we utilize it as much as possible, then we will get some benefit of our time. But then Allah says, But the reality is, most of insan and people are just wasting their times. But there is a select group that is not wasting their time and that are not losing out on this because ni'matan, there are two blessings that many people go into loss, siha and faraq, time and uh, their health. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that these people, that they are not going, uh, that they are not amongst the losers, illa ladina amanu, they believe and not only do they believe, amilu salihat, they do good deeds consistently. That's their course of action. Not only do they do good, but they remind others to do good. What happens when you start telling everyone to do good or be better? People start shunning you. And they incorporate patience. And as we, are, as we are into the new year, there are many people who have not made it past. And we, we reflect on a moment of all of those who have passed on and who neither have a moment or a second any longer to pray a salah, to attend a lecture, to do a dua, to recite, to ask for forgiveness, to make any change. The time is gone, what they've left behind, their legacy, that's all that remains. And as we are talking about time, we're not talking about this moment or that, we're talking about the rest of our life, but at a stronger focus, Ramadan is only three months away. Ramadan is only a grasp away. So if we start managing our time and utilizing it now, we will be successful when Ramadan comes. Going back to the question that Mari Nadim asked, um, what's the biggest challenge that I see? And I work strongly with the youth. The Sheikh works um, 
with older youth, which I call adults, um, so he can give from, from his perspective the, 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 the problem that I see in American uh, Muslim youth, especially post, um, or I mean, I can't tell if we're out of Corona or not, because we keep on going back into it, um, but post lockdown is the number one thing is uh, importance, ahmiya, value, like qadr, right? Um, there's actually this amazing thing that I screenshotted the other day. Actually, it was today. And I just want to read it to you because I don't think I can um, say it in the manner that the sheikh said it. So he talks about the heart that is searching for Allah, right? The wayfarer. He says the wayfarer must beware of excessive coldness. From excessive coldness comes inactivity. From inactivity comes halting. From halting comes absent-mindedness. From absent-mindedness comes procrastination. From procrastination comes heedlessness. From heedlessness comes laziness. From laziness comes heaviness of the body and spirit, the ruh. From heaviness of the body and spirit comes fatigue. From fatigue comes boredom. And as the Prophet ﷺ says, Allah does not become bored when you become bored. That Allah doesn't tire when you tire. That Allah is always there. He says, from boredom comes indifference. From indifference comes remoteness and being cut off. And from remoteness and being cut off comes deprivation. And Allah's refuge is avoided from there. That our youngsters today, it's a recused. We've recused ourselves, right? We've gone into the social media sector and we find pleasure and happiness in the group chat. I find, I find fulfillment in a 10-second TikTok of Islam and I feel like I've gained some knowledge of Islam or I've learned something or I do a quick Google search. The value or the ahmiya or the importance of personal interactions, the ahmiya of the deen, the ahmiya of value, the ahmiya of the importance of holding on to their spirituality, I have seen a strong decline in these things. You will see people that they are no longer, I mean, we see it in our communities, in our masjids, that we can count the people that are coming for Jum'ah now. There was a time when we didn't need to encourage people to come for Jum'ah. And I see that the reason this has come is because during lockdown, um, obviously people's cell phone usage became excessive. And that is one of the greatest ways of wasting time. So there's three W's you can ask yourself, right? When you're trying to detach, and this is not a problem that's only with you. This is with everybody, every single person. You're sitting down in a gathering, someone's on their phone. Like, what's missing? Ask yourself three questions. Number one, the three W's. There's a psychiatrist that talks about this, actually. Number one is, when did you do it? Or first is, why did you do it? What triggered you to touch your cell phone? You were around your boys. You were around the girls. You were on the squad. You were in where you're trying to want to be. Why? What triggered you? What was that factor? Is it habit? Was it loneliness? Were you avoiding a situation? Identify what was the reason. And then why? What did you end up doing with your phone? Did you just scroll through it and go put it back? And finally, what could you have done else in that time that you held your phone? And the more proximity we have with our phone and with something that is inanimate, we have lost the proximity with the creation and the creator. We have lost relevance. At a time, death was something that shook us that made us woke. Today is just auto text, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi 
and we're numb to it. We're numb to the passage of time. We're numb to death. We're numb to the concept that we don't have it, that, that we may not have the moment. I mean, in the beginning of COVID, everybody was scared. Everyone was very precautious. The young, the old, everyone. Now it's, oh, I have the, uh, uh, the, the vaccine. Oh, I have the booster. Oh, I'm young. Oh, I'm okay. The, 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 the fear that I don't have time, I may not have time any longer, has escaped our mind despite every day we are saying, in lillahi wa inna so this is the small reflection I got, that the ahmiya and the value has decreased. And I believe that the way of increasing this value and this ahmiya is in two prongs. So when we go, and mashallah, Epic's done a phenomenal job with this, right? So I, I, I do acknowledge Epic uh, on this, may Allah reward and bless the community. And I think the larger communities need to follow suit with this as well, which is that when we came out of post-COVID, our strategy has to be two-pronged which is that we are working on a layer which is in the community, which is very important. Having that company, that spirituality, that presence, that ruhaniya, that personal interaction is incredibly important uh, uh, to, to, to provide. And second is majority and many of our youngsters in our community are on their phones. If we can't get them to here, we need to go there. And we have to invest in this and make it the best product. We have to invest in our young influencers. There are literally kids, bache in this community that have hundreds and thousands of followers, that have larger followings than majority of the shiuch in the city. Masajid combined. But their manhaj or their approach or what they're promoting is completely wrong. And we have an opportunity to flip these things and reach out to people in a better manner to change our strategy, not to go back into the same way that we were, to understand that the attention span has decreased. Longer programs, longer lectures, longer courses, longer, everything has to be revisited and restructured for the new mentality that's coming. Because remember one thing, our parents taught us with the system of mind that worked for them, the corporate system, you, you get a degree, you come to this country, you're gonna land a good job, and you're gonna have a better life than you did back at home. That same formula doesn't work any longer. A good degree, um, a high paying job, uh, and, 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 and a good position does not mean that you'll be well off, does not mean you'll be financially independent, and does not secure anything either. So that mentality shift has to come. Sorry, I know I've been, uh, I've spoken a lot, so I will turn it over to Sheikh Arsalan uh, so I don't bore him uh, with my words. Uh, inshallah, and Sheikh Arsalan can correct my mistakes and uh, give his thoughts, inshallah. Bismillah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Sheikh, you never bore me, Sheikh. First of all, um, I would like to thank the Epic community for hosting us tonight. Um, this initiative uh, is an initiative to connect East Plano with West Plano. You know, Sheikh, was, you were talking about how you know, we've become overly connected with the internet and become disconnected from each other. And that applies even at our communal levels, that East Plano and West Plano, because of COVID and because of other things. And we're trying to, to reconnect here, the two communities. So EPIC has taken the first step, inshallah, there'll be 
future similar programs because we are one community. Of course, the whole ummah is one ummah, but we have to start somewhere. So this is where we start, at the Plano level, and then inshallah at the Collin County level, and then inshallah at the DFW level, and, and on and on inshallah ta'ala. So this is uh, something that we ask all of your support in, and du'as for, and encouragement inshallah ta'ala. And uh, uh, secondly, I would like to uh, say to you, Imam Nadim, that we had agreed that this is going to be a conversation. So I'm going to ignore the people. I'm going to be conversing with you two, inshallah ta'ala. And you don't get to ask all the questions, Sheikh. You know, the guests have a right on you too. So we'll also ask you questions, inshallah ta'ala. Especially since you're the only one representing Epic. So you have twice the work to do, inshallah ta'ala. Um, but to respond to your question, I think, you know, a lot of what Mufti Wasim said was also on my mind. Um, but I think that in general, in general, human beings, we have a tendency to go into a state of ghafla. Okay? As time passes by, we lose track of the big picture and we forget certain things. Even Adam alayhi salam, who lived for a thousand years, right? There came a time when he f genuinely forgot the prohibition, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Fanasi, he forgot. And he did what he wasn't supposed to do. And we human beings have a tendency to do that. So when COVID started, right, and the lockdown happened, and we realized that the internet was such a valuable tool to get us through the difficulty, right? So we found so many things that we could do through the internet, whether it's ordering groceries and getting them delivered to your home or whether it was education and teaching and so on. So we became very used to the internet and we forgot that this was a patch up solution for the time being because we were facing some very unusual circumstances. So when the lockdown ended, what was supposed to happen was that we were supposed to go back to how things are supposed to be done normally as much as possible, right? But we had become so used to this, this, this artificial type of lifestyle that we, we, had, we had to develop that we, we just became comfortable with that. And I remember the first time when I came to Epic when the distance had been removed. The six feet distance had been removed. And I came to Sheikh Yu and I asked you, you know, when did you guys start doing this? And I asked you, you know, how has it been? And you remember what you told me, you said that actually, subhanAllah, you know, people are having a hard time coming back shoulder to shoulder. Like we became so used to praying away from one another that it, it became harder to go back to praying shoulder to shoulder. And, and this is something that, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, when we come to this world, when we come to this world, and we spend 40, 50, 60 years, we're supposed to make sure that we always remember that this is not our final abode, that our home is somewhere else. We're supposed to keep fixated on that and, and work on that, look forward to that. What's happened in COVID is that we've gone to another virtual world. So first we came from akhirah to dunya, 
And then from dunya, we came to virtual, this virtual and now this metaverse that everybody is talking about. This is very dangerous. You know, it's putting us further and further away from what our real world and home is. And so I think this has been a great challenge for all of us as we have become so fixated to the internet, like you said, and that's resulting in so many symptoms. People are facing depression, people are having mood swings, you know, bickering and fightings between families, spouses, siblings, right? We become highly opinionated because okay. now, you know, internet, it gives us this, this, this sense that, oh, I know everything because I've read all this research and watched all these videos. So now I have a very strong opinion about whether to get vaccinated or not get vaccinated or whether we should be liberal or Republican or what, just everything we have formulated very strong opinions about. And I, and I hear about husbands and wives fighting with one another about the issue of vaccine. Or should we go to weddings or not? Or should we you know, take our children to school or have them study at home? There's this division that is happening between families, within families, and it is a result of these strong opinions that Rasulullah said, three things are destructive. And one of them was, or in another riwayah, one of them is to be impressed with our opinions. So you asked for Shaykh, challenges. Just to and add on to that, Mufti Taha Quran one time when we were sitting, uh, there was a ulama uh, session he was, he was teaching us. And in there he mentioned a point. And I just wanted to piggyback off. I just wanted to uh, say that. He said that when a person thinks that their opinion is always right, there's a hint of arrogance in there. Yeah. So what's the solution, Sheikh? I mean, I think, Sheikh, you asked us, you know, what are some of the biggest challenges? And what are the solutions for these challenges, right? So, so what do you think the solution is? I mean, um, it, the solution can be many. Uh, one thing that has, has come to my mind is, I think it starts with tawadr. It just really starts with, I'm a learner, I'm a student of knowledge. And you know, I remember, I think it was Mufti, it was Imam Sayyid Ahmad Khan Sab. Every time he would, um, he would introduce himself or anytime he would write his name, he would always write At-Talib um, Muhammad Saeed Ahmad Khan. It was something that was very common with many of our ulama. I think that we just need to really go back to the basics that I don't, I don't know everything. When a person says, my opinion, over, it prevails over everyone else's opinion, I know, I know, then that, that door of arrogance is so shut tight that nothing can seep through. And once that door is shut, then you can't learn anything. You're going to be sitting in a khutbah, but you're not sitting in the khutbah for the intention of learning, where you're sitting in the khutbah for the intention of, I need to convey this message to someone else. You know, We will get out of the khutbah and say, you know, did you hear that khutbah? That khutbah was for you, or that khutbah was that for that person. If we're sitting on a WhatsApp group, we know someone is doing something wrong, we'll, post, we'll take that khutbah and post it in that WhatsApp group you know, to send a message, a subtle message to someone else. But our and then deen, someone responds with another YouTube video. <laughs> no, so, but it's, it's, what happens is that our deen is actually to, for us to become a better person. And if I'm using my deen to use it against others, that, I think that's the very first step. I mean, I'm imperfect. I need to make improvements. I have challenges in my life. I'm not the most perfect person. And part of tawadu is listening to other people's opinion. 
and just, you know, I'm not saying, see, when I say, you know, one thing that um, a lot of times what happens, I'm sure you both would face this, for simply saying respecting someone's opinion, it almost becomes like you, as if you are agreeing to someone's opinion. Respecting someone's opinion does not mean that you're necessarily agreeing. You're simply respecting that that's their position, and I'm not going to um, sort of enforce my position and my opinion on them. They're in their place, and this is my opinion. Simple as that. You don't have to you know, become critical of them and so forth. So I think that's where the first place we start from. There's actually a book written by Sheikh Muhammad bin Muhammad al-Awama called Adab al-Ikhtilaf, the etiquette of disagreeing with people. And I believe that someone has even translated that into English. Uh, one of my teachers who passed away, Mufti al-Awadin, translated it into Urdu, a very important discussion to have, um, that we don't teach each others how to disagree the idea of agreeing to disagree. And that goes into whether it's work, whether it's family, friends, whatever it is, right? They say arguments are caused by 95% tone and 5% content. How you say it versus yeah. what you say. Um, and then in just like, in, in just your interactions and self-development, right? Your mentality, that when I walk into a room, am I there to teach or am I there to learn? When I walk into a khutbah, am I there to see what are their mistakes or am I there to see what can I gain? Um, I was on a uh, journey with uh, my father, may Allah give him a long and healthy life, um, where I went to a lot of senior scholars. These are people who have been teaching Bukhari and training scholars for 40, 50 years, 60 years, um, and they're very old, some close to 100 years old. Uh, and the first thing I would ask them is, can you give me some advice? And every single one of them responded by saying, what advice can I give you? You give me advice, I'm the one in need of advice. Like that mentality of that I always need to have that. And, and I think when you have the opportunity of Googling anything, seeing a YouTube video on anything, you consider yourself a level of an expert, right? So there is a time where someone can have a disagreement and the disagreement goes over there. And there's a moment that a person's like, okay, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm not. But now it's like, if it's on the first page of Google, and what any knowledge, any information, I can access it. Therefore, by definition, I'm an expert of it. So that level of um, that talab, right? That's what the student of knowledge is called. We are called talibul ilms, the ones who are seekers, right? And because in us, humility is supposed to be bred inside. And that is born from just talab, the one who is a talib, the one who is a seeker, the one who always understands that I'm in need will have that, as Mawlana mentioned, that Imam mentioned that there will be that layer of uh, humility that will be adopted inside it. Uh, one thing that you mentioned earlier, um, I, will, I really want you to sort of expand on that. Uh, you mentioned earlier about having, there are, there are young men in our community or young women in our community who have a very strong social media presence, right? And you said that they have a lot of followers and so forth. I want you to share in your own personal opinion, how do you strike a balance between just using, you know, people, there are people who are using social media also to give da'wah. It's a very strong, it's, it's a very powerful tool, social media. It comes down to how you use it. You can use it, use it the right way, use it the wrong way. So when you have, how do you strike a balance in this day and age when you're trying to do something good on social media versus, you know, making sure that you stay away from Ria from Ujub and being focused on how many followers are you gaining or how many, you know, how many likes you're gaining. 
how do you strike that balance of ikhlas and riya in, in social media? I want to ask both of you. So, I mean, that's a very good question, Sheikh. Um, first of all, we have, to, we have to mention that this is a problem, you know. So with a lot of us, uh, it's, it's a trick that shaitan plays that we, we might go. I remember, you know, when, I, uh, when Facebook first came out, uh, I didn't join Facebook for a long time, right? Um, pretty much all my friends, we were studying in Egypt at the time, and everybody was on Facebook, my family was on Facebook, you know, and I thought it was a waste of time, I didn't want to get on Facebook. We're talking about, you know, uh, 10 years ago maybe, 2021, no, more than that. Maybe, yeah, more than that, maybe We're 15 years ago. We're in 22 now. <laughs> yeah, that's right, 2022. 2012, probably. About 15 years ago, maybe, or so. And then, subhanAllah, you know, uh, the Arab Spring happened. 2011, uh, you know, so about 11 years ago, the Arab Spring happened. And uh, I was in Egypt at the time, and all these ulama from the Middle East, they started to post messages on social media analyzing and commenting on what, was, on what was going on. And I was hearing about their statements from other people. I was like, you know, I need to know what the ulama are saying. So it's about time that I make a Facebook page, right? So I made a Facebook page to stay connected with what the ulama were saying on Facebook, right? It's a very good intention to go onto Facebook. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, that they might go into social media with the best of intentions. But then what happens, we all know what happens with time, right? So this is a real problem. And so you asked, you know, how do you, how do you maintain ikhlas? How do you uh, main, maintain the, the right uh, intention and the right usage of these things? I think for one thing, and I'll, you know, let Mufti Wasim comment more, but I think we do need regular reminders about the dangers of seeking fame you know, the dangers of seeking reputation, the dangers of, of showing off. I mean, these are timeless teachings of our deen that the Prophet ﷺ taught us, the ulama expounded upon them. And ذكر فإن الذكرى تنفع المؤمنين Reminders are beneficial for people. Uh, you know, we, we hear a lot about the need to market yourself and the need to, to put yourself out there, otherwise you won't be successful. But we don't hear enough reminders about the dangers of fame, the dangers of seeking fame and seeking leadership. So I think reminders are very, very important. But I'll hand it over to you. Um, I think, uh, is your hat JJ? Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was going to say the answer is on your head. Junaid Jamshed, rahmatullahi I think he was an excellent example, right? Just to set the tone. Um, he was a celebrity who uh, gave da'wa, uh, motivated people. And then we, ha we had a certain mistake in Junaid, rahmatullahi time, which um, those who were close to him, they knew of that pain. Um, and that was he, was, he was not a scholar by any chance. He was just, he was still a celebrity. That never changed. But when we have youngsters who have clout, and we push them or motivate them, tell them come to the masjid or bring them around, people automatically began holding them to that standard. 
So when I have youngsters who have large social media followings and I have these talks or discussions with them about encouraging them, why not post something? Ramadan is coming, why not this, why not that? Their response is that if I post something Islamic, then the comments all become like this. Then people go after me. Then people say, what about that video of yours? Oh, you, you're saying this now, but this thing. We understand that those defects uh, uh, exist. We understand that that person has those shortcomings. But we have to come into a balance that it's not all in or all out. It's not that this person is all going to be committed or they're going to be completely not committed and they have no opportunity and they have no place in our community. We have to strike that balance. And Rasulullah does this. He sees those Sahaba who have the clout and he identifies them and he encourages them and the, whether they were Sa'ad bin Mu'ad or Sayyidina Umar or Sayyidina Hamza, it doesn't matter, there's a plethora of names. The Prophet seeks them out. Okay, then you have people like Abdullah bin Ubay bin Salul, who is the Ra'isul Munafiqeen, the leader of the hypocrites. The Prophet even works with him, even invites him onto war. Because the Prophet took the benefit that he could and persevered through the nuqsans and through the problems that came along with it. In that process, there were many people who shifted and became better and became Sahaba. Even his own son, Abdullah bin Abdullah bin Ubay bin Salul, was a radiallahu anhu, was a Sahabi. Father wasn't. But again, our job is to extend and make the effort. Allah will give the hidayah. For our job is not to guarantee the guidance of any single person. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the youngsters who have these clouts, right? They, once they have this clout, they get these endorsements. Uh, I had this guy in Austin. Uh, I don't know if anyone knows Cypher PK. Anyone heard of Cypher PK? Raise your hand if y'all heard of Cypher PK. Y'all know Cypher PK? All right, bet. So uh, I, am, I gave a khutbah, like Fortnite season three or something had come out a few years ago. Uh, this was pre-COVID, man. So I was like, what, the heck? what am I going to talk about to a bunch of high schoolers, right? And middle schoolers. Like, that's just like, middle schoolers is my threshold. I, ca I can't connect. So I was like, all right, bet. let me use Fortnite. So I went, downloaded the game. Uh, I started the first round. And then you I played? Went, I played, I played. Uh, no, I'm pretty good at it now with the bow and arrow, alhamdulillah. Okay. But uh, so I'm, I'm like, while this game is happening, it begins to rain. And my guy goes into sajda and I'm like, mashallah, he's thanking Allah for, you know, it's raining and he's in sajda. Turns out that's how he dies. But... Um, <laughs> So after I gave that khutbah, this youngster, their family comes and they're like, oh, you know what, Cypher PK, and they told me about that whole Twitch thing. So this person has this remarkable following, right? Incredible, where people around the globe, and it is our job, these people get endorsements, they get different companies that vie after them, people support them, people grow them, products invest behind these people and grow them because they know 10 years down the road, it will benefit us. We as a community need to be apt, identify these people, put our youth directors, our scholars, the other influential kids in the community to work on them, to bring their route back to the masjid, to bring their route and heart back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because that person coming and that person changing their life will bring thousands and thousands of people. And I mean, you have Western governments, you have Hollywood, you have social media icons, you have everywhere, uh, the whole capitalism system exploits it while they take social media as a weapon and they I mean, you have revolutions that take place. But unfortunately, as a Muslim community, we haven't been able to truly identify where our strengths are, be happy for them, be able to work past the differences, and to really empower a generation that 
we always say youth, 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 but like when it comes down to the table of actually empowering them, then it's just words. Then it's just words. Then it's not any action behind it. But yeah, I'll give it off to uh, Sheikh Osalam if he wants um, to say anything or Imam. Uh, you know, one question, because you said something now that got me uh, thinking a little. Something related to time also, um, and this is something that it's related to parents and children and the, the dilemma of, you know, when I was a kid, I, you know, I had a, a Nintendo, I had a Super Nintendo, I had a Nintendo 64, then I got the Genesis, and I got, like, I went through PS1, and then PS2. Sheikh, now those kids yeah, have never heard now, of these things, and each of those are valued at like $10,000, okay, because so, <laughs> they're antiques. So, and then it got to the point that, you know, I bought the, I bought the PS3, and I just didn't have any time afterwards, and I just, even like when I bought some of those games, they were just sitting on the shelf and they're just sitting on the shelf till take. I don't have the time to even touch a controller anymore. But you know, one thing that a lot of, um, one thing that I've seen with the current day generation is that the amount of video games that they're playing, because Sheikh mentioned that he plays Fortnite. You still play Fortnite? Listen, I played it on the mobile and then I got onto COD and okay, okay. retired after that. You play COD? Not anymore. Okay, okay, I'm busy. Okay, right. like so you, anyway, I'm just busy like you. Okay. So um, anyway, time. so um, so one thing I want to ask both of you because this is a common question that many parents are asking nowadays, and not only that, but there are so much addictive games on 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 the phone that where you have to constantly be on the phone in order to play the game. You're building like there are games like where you build a kingdom, you build like this this entire country, and if you are not sitting on the phone and you're not playing the game actively, your kingdom is being torn apart. Um, people playing games four, five, six hours, and then it starts, you know, we, you know one of the things that we, we all talked about, we're, we're gonna talk about also is like habits and routines and so forth. But then you're playing video games so much so, it becomes such a habit that then those same, some, those same young men, they're, you know, they're getting married and what happens is that divorces are taking place in the community because they've had such a habit of playing video games that then they're not giving time to their own family, but they're sitting down playing video games and, and it's just like throughout, like it's, you know, throughout the night they're playing at times. So a lot of parents have been also asking that what, how do we strike a balance? The kids gotta play, okay, they wanna fresh up their minds, sometimes they gotta go and play, but then how do you strike a balance? So my question to both of you is, one advice that you can give to the youth who are very addicted to their video games. Number two is, because it does consume a lot of time. It does consume immense amount of time. But then number two is that what advice can you give to the parents how they can help their children strike a balance in this, in this problem? So I'll give advice to the parents. I'll let Mufti Wasim give advice to the youth. So I uh, am also a parent. I have a, a teenage uh, uh, son, and uh, I believe that as parents, it is very important for both the mother and the father to be on the same page about their child's screen time. That's where it has to begin. Mothers and fathers need to sit down and have these conversations and come to an agreement about what is going to be the rule in the house. Okay. So they, they need to make a rule, and, and then they need to enforce the rule. They need to enforce the rule. 
So that's number one. Number two, um, I think that we all should realize as parents that our children uh, need entertainment. Our children need a way to socialize with people. And so it's not really practical to completely cut them off from these things unless we're going to provide them with alternatives. Okay? If, if we are not there to spend time with our children, if we're not there to take them to spend time with their friends and bring them back or invite their friends over and so on, then we have to provide them with alternatives. Kids will be kids, especially if all of their friends are doing something. But I think that we also have to become educated ourselves about what are the different kinds of games that are out there, right? Some games may be okay for our kids, some games should not be okay for our kids. Some types of gaming consoles should be preferred over other types of gaming consoles. You know, so we should clearly demarcate for our children that this is going to be okay and this is not going to be okay and this is the amount of time that they're going to be allowed and so on. So I think as parents, you know, we need to be uh, on top of this uh, because if we, don't, if we don't protect our children at an early age, right, then once they are older, then it's really too late. It's out of our hands. It's out of our hands. Then they're, they're adults then, right? So, so we have to uh, um, catch, catch this early on when they are 7, 8, 9, 10, and so on. And then, uh, you know, instill in them uh, um, interests that are beyond video games. Right? Instill in them interests that are beyond video games. Help them develop healthy interests. It takes a lot of effort. Uh, it takes a lot of sacrifice from us as parents, as fathers and mothers who might be working, who have other things to do. But we have to invest into this if we want to protect our children from developing those addictions and so on later on. Um, before Mufti Wasim starts, uh, any questions, inshallah, go ahead and send them my way, inshallah. And um, so we can get the question and answers uh, started right after uh, Mufti Wasim's uh, answer. So I think that there are some moments where parents have to ignore the time frame. Um, and some moments, because I think it's a reasonable ask sometimes for certain demographics and age groups, right? So for example, winter break, you have kids who can't drive, or parents don't want their kids to be out at night. It's the weekend or you know, they have a late class in the morning and they're up at night, the whole squad is up, right? So sometimes video games are better than a lot of other things. Right? I'm saying that at times you have to be uh, practical with what's the other alternative. Do you want your kid to be just sitting in their room looking at the ceiling and being like, How, well, what will make my parents proud and let me just think about this for the next three hours, right? Kids aren't gonna do that. Um, they're gonna sit on their, if they're not on a console, they're on a phone. At least on a console, I see it as at least I know what my kid's doing. I don't have kids, but I'm just saying, right? At least in that, in, in, in that perspective, right? On the phone, I can't. Um, the second thing is, is that I think outside of these times, I think it's on a personal thing, right? It's like if you let your child feel that they have an ability 
uh, to accomplish a lot, right? That they that they're not always a letdown. That uh, that they're not uh, that, that they're a nobody. That they can accomplish a lot, whether it's physically, mentally, spiritually, and you're motivating them and connecting them with resources to do so. So, for example, and again, on a parent, it's an investment, right? It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you time. Whether it may be taking them horseback riding, archery, bowling, doing sports with them, learning a skill, learning language, braille, cooking. There's a thousand things to do, but it requires everyone to do it. You can't just be like, kids, don't be on your, you can't, why are you guys playing video games? And then you go on your phone right after. You can't echo those statements and go into your room. You can't just be like, let's have family talk and then lecture them. Like you have to be practical as well at that, at that junction. So it allows that youngster to be able to effectively agree with it. So when you tell them now, listen, why are you playing your game? Or just play for an hour. You have work. They're excited for it. They acknowledge it. They understand the importance of it and the value of it. But if they already feel like they're a nobody, and they already feel like they're getting lectured, they're not just playing that game at night most of the time because they're by themselves. It's a whole squad on there, right? And they're talking to them, and that's just the time pass for them. So it's, at times, it's a whole generational thing, right? That that whole age group can't do anything else. And then you have college kids and stuff. Then you're thinking to yourself, do I want my kids to be out at night or do I want them to rather be on a screen, right? So again, it's, we're living in an era where you have to pick your battles. Um, and there isn't a right answer for every child. As a parent, you have to take a step back and look at the residual effects of your decision. That what I'm saying, what's the alternative I'm providing? Actually, my question to you was, um, because Sheikh Hassan said that you, you, you would answer the, the youth aspect. What, what advice can you give to the youth if they are sitting for so many hours, how do you how more, do you manage not, I, your time? I, I, I think it's like, if you're telling a kid, with all due respect, yeah, yeah. right? If you're telling a kid that don't go, you know, listen, I'm going to give you some advice, man. Go back home, put some screen time on, manage it, and make sure that, listen, you, you play. and you. That's just generic advice. Yeah. The reality is what's prompting them to be on there for that long? What's the factor that's making them enjoy rather sitting in front of a screen for hours and hours on with a headset than outside of that room? Once that root cause is solved, then it's easy to tell that kid, play less, or don't, you don't get them the game, they don't feel it as much, or they themselves will, will, will come off of it. If that person's got a schedule, or they want to work out, or they find excitement in there, or they play, or they have a game in the morning, they're not going to be up all night playing, because they have a responsibility so, so, the next So day. that's the point. I think that what you, what you subtly said, in the best way, I've said this before, the best way to keep our kids, making them use the best of their time, is to keep them occupied. If you don't keep them occupied, they will find ways to just sit down and spend. And because, as you said, you're right, they're sitting with the squad, they have their headset on, and they're, they're chatting with like 10 different people at the same time while they're playing COD and so forth. So I understand all that is going on, but I think that what you said is the most important thing, keeping them occupied. Either, you know, you can either get them a job, give them some responsibilities, do this, do that, when you keep them occupied, then they will, as they say, an empty mind is a devil's workshop. When you have absolutely nothing to do, shaitan's going to come to you at that time. So I think you, you pretty much nailed it on the head that where you said, give them, if they have responsibilities, and I think the majority of the time we see that they have no responsibilities. I think we have given a lot of times so much free time to them that they don't, they don't do anything or they don't, their time is being wasted. More like responsibilities they enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Like you, I, I don't want parents going back home and be like, I got to make my kid busy. Beta, dishes and sewing and you know, laundry and all that. No, that's not the point. No, no, I'm, but it has to be healthy or proper responsibilities. That's, yeah, that's my point. 
But so, okay, so that's all advice for the parents though, right? I mean, there are, there are youth who are in situations where their parents are not doing what they're supposed to do. But these youth are old enough, they're mature enough, they're 17, 18 years old. What advice can we give to them to get themselves out of this addiction that they are in, this video gaming addiction? Like, uh, for example, like young gamers, for example, there are just people who are just like, and I think, I mean, uh, I think the best thing would be is, you know, any change that we have seen, even like, for example, in our deen, any change that has come, it has come with, uh, with you know, gradual process. And I think the most important thing is, uh, as Mufti Wasim said, giving them responsibilities. Like I, look, I'll be honest with you when I say this, that if your child is a young man and he's spending a lot of time in wrong company or he's spending time playing video games excessively, once again, as, as Sheikh Arsalan said earlier, there has to be a certain level of entertainment in their life that's fine with that. I played video games when I was a kid too, but my parents made sure that it was in a, in a certain time frame. I think what's important is that number one, responsibility, but I think at the same time, the second one is that there just has to be, I mean, um, you have to cut it down slowly and gradually. Um, if you're playing six hours a day, you cut it down to five. And then slowly and gradually you cut it down to four. And then you cut it down to three if you need to. I'm not saying you completely cut it out of your system. I don't think anyone who's considered as a gamer, you won't completely cut it out of your system. But you can at least reduce it a little to the point that then when the time comes that you get so busy in your life, you know that my responsibilities have a priority over my games. My games, it comes afterward. My, my salat, my, my spiritual responsibilities, everything comes up as a priority and then comes my time for games uh, and so forth. I think that's, that's one. Um, by the way, some questions that have come is, um, uh, youth are using their phones during Jummah Khutbah any solution for this? Kids even know the Masjid, masjid Wi-Fi uh, password. By the way, usually they don't know. I mean, Epic is very particular about that, that we don't give out the Wi-Fi. But if they go anywhere, I think this is just a general question that kids are using their phones during Jummah Khutbah. Um, I think this is actually a bigger issue that a lot of other people, but particularly I've seen, yes, kids or youth uh, more, more than the adults are using um, their phones during Jama Khutbah. Any one of you want to chime on that? I mean, I think you said it. You know, it's not just a problem with kids. Uh, even adults uh, are sometimes using their phones during the Khutbah. And uh, to a certain extent, kids will be kids. You know, if, if they're not distracted by their phones, they'll be distracted by something else. Um, it's just a matter of reaching a level of maturity uh, to, to concentrate on the khutbah and to realize the importance of it. Um, but, you know, we can give regular reminders to people about the importance of listening to the khutbah, but it requires a level of spiritual maturity to concentrate to a 30-minute khutbah without getting distracted with anything else. So I think we can take practical measures, right? So why do you even bring your phone into the prayer hall? Leave it in the car. Why do you need your phone in the prayer hall? Leave it in the car. Um, so we can take some practical measures to kind of, uh, um, you know, fight the shaitan or fight the temptations. But to a certain extent, we have to understand that young people be young people. Allah. What do you say? I'm sorry. Young people be young people. 
Basically, youth will be youth. Basically, he's saying it is what it is. <laughs> no, so, but it's. <laughs> so I think that um, I've seen this in South Africa, um, and I think it may have a positive effect in our communities too. I think we're at a point where a lot of people don't even know that by get, taking out their phone, they lose their reward of the khutbah. I think a lot of people generally don't even know that. People will come during Jummah and say salam to me or something, um, and you know, for a moment they'll feel offended when I don't respond. They don't yeah, even know that. Yeah. So I think uh, re-education about the khutbah, like a topic uh, at least once or twice a year in every masjid should be at every Jummah, the etiquettes and the mannerisms of Jummah, right? And it should be sent out on an email so people have it as a written thing posted on socials. The second thing is I do think that if you have, I know it's a little bit of an eyesore, but I think if you have in masjid few signs that has like a red thing with the phone and says yeah. prohibited to use during khutbah, and a lot of the masjids incorporate this, automatically someone, you will deter a lot of people who didn't know. And the people who have and then their eye falls on it, they get that reminder. And then you have some people, khalas, there's yeah. nothing you can what do. What kind of signs? Sorry, what kind of like, signs? Like, you know, you have those signs that say like turn off the phones and that like, says like... Prohibited uh, phone usage. Yeah, a, a phone usage is prohibited during khutbah. We have them all over the place. Plano Masjid. Is it? Nobody notices those. I didn't even notice it. We have the cell phones going off every day. Is this khutbah in there? No, not khutbah. No cell phones in the masjid, right? And you have cell phones going off every day in the masjid. We might need bigger signs or like LED ones. They don't work. There was a question that came is that I think Sheikh Harsan was saying earlier that there are three things that cause problems. Can you mention what the Prophet said? There are three things that are destructive, three destroyers. And this especially applies to the end of times. And subhanAllah, we are approaching closer and closer to those times. So the first one he said was shuhum muta'ah, greed that is obeyed. Greed that is obeyed. We always want more and more and newer and newer things. Hawa muttaba'ah was the second one. Hawa inclinations or desires or whims or t that are f that are followed when we follow our whims our desires right so what we see nowadays one i think one manifestation of that is this whole uh, infatuation and obsession with gender identity right i think this is part of hawa muttaba uh, defining everything in a very secular way this is all part of hawa muttaba to follow inclinations, to follow whims and desires, the nafsani drives inside of us, and also the intellect to intellectualize everything. So, hawa muttaba is the second one, and number three is irjabul mar'i bi nafsihi, to be impressed with oneself or to be impressed with one's own opinions. Allah. Mufti Sahib, this is a question that's come for you. You talked about the root causes for why kids are on social media are on social media or games, what are some of the examples of these root causes that you have experienced? What are some of the examples? What are root causes for kids being on social media? On video games. I mean, I think it's the norm for kids to be on social media, right? So I, I, I give this example. Um, when you have a child and he's uh, young, he's an, he's an infant, what do you and you have two-story homes? What do you do? You put railings by the stairs. Um, as the kid gets older, do you build higher railings? What do you build? What, what do you do? You teach him how to climb the stairs, climb the stairs and walk. 
What we do as parenting is we just build a higher wall. And you can build the higher wall you want. That kid will just learn to go over that wall. And they will learn to beat you and understand, because they know this system better than you. You can put Life360 or anything. There's a hack on everything. I'm not going to expose their hacks, but I'm just saying. You can put even Life360. It's not like something that you can be like, oh, you know, I know where my kid is. No. They'll beat you at the game. You know their Snapchat? Mashallah, they have a fin, uh, was it Finsta or whatever. They have a fake Instagram or another account or something. So I think that uh, these uh, root causes that, that, that we're speaking of, we're in an era where everyone's going to have it. We have to teach them how to effectively use it, not don't use it completely, right? Coming out and just saying, don't do it. No, it's yeah. about how to do it, the value of it, the importance of it. And again, it's not your blame. It's not like it's your fault that your kids are doing this. No, you didn't even know that this was all going to happen. We didn't even know this. We didn't know social media was going to take us, and we didn't know we'd have to parent like this, and we didn't know we'd have to talk like this. We didn't know any of these things. This all came from the nidham of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we are adapting and learning as time progresses but this is the norm so isolation is not going to work the kid is just going to be left out um, they're going to yearn for it even more that's why the strictest parents make the best liars uh, they'll, they'll, they'll yearn for it even more so effectively teaching them the value of their body so they understand okay snap teaching them even scaring them about the fact that there's no privacy on these things right when we started with phones like there was some level of concept of privacy right now to give the idea that there's nothing, anything can be hacked, even that fear is a good tactic to have them share, uh, at least have them not share things that are inappropriate or that are uh, defaming to themselves that may harm them later on in the future, maybe by an ex or by someone who has malicious intent. May Allah protect one and all. Um, <clears throat> this is, a, I mean, I don't know how we can answer this, but this is a question that has come is that, I mean, we talked about this in some capacity, but this is a question that has come, is that what, it, what do you do when there is an actual, like there's fights between parents and kids where the parents are saying, you know, they're trying to limit the video games, the kids, are, they want to play. How do you sort of reconcile that kind of situation? I think like um, your community is blessed, right? So this person who's, and again, this solution may not apply to every single person, but the one who's asking, the ones who are in the hall right now, the ones who are listening online, um, you have an opportunity of reaching out to either your imam, your resident scholar, your youth director, your stat. You have multiple people to reach out to and have them as a middle person because they're able to relate to the parent and the child at the same time. They're able to come with, with a middle ground that the parent and the child will, res will, will, will respect or appreciate or acknowledge you have a bigger or a higher chance of accomplishing it in that manner than you trying to convince your kid or your kid trying to convince you. We as uh, foreigners find it very uh, difficult to reach out for help. You know, what are others going to say? People are going to know. We're okay with being the worst versions in front of the people we love the most, but where we get scared is when we reach out for that, that, that help. So I think that <coughs> having that opportunity, having someone in the middle ground so that they can balance it, and then on a weekly basis, they can measure it, right? So if, it's a, if, they've, if they've reduced it for half an hour or an hour, they're able to measure it over the coming weeks. Um, another question that has come is that, can you say... We talked about this from a, uh, about Juma Khutbah, but in general, we talk about children being on social media. Can you say anything about adults being on social media, and how is affecting uh, how is it affecting family and so forth? Any one of you? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, look, social media has benefits and harms, as we said at the beginning, and um, we know of marriages that have issues because one spouse is overly, excessively using social media. Uh, you know, the w things that they do on social media, what they share on social media, all of these things can contrib contribute towards friction in the family, fights between husbands and wives. And so, uh, and like, I, like we said earlier, that, that it's very easy for a person to, to, even though they start out with a good intention to be on social media, but it can quickly develop into an addiction. And uh, we know of many adults who are addicted to social media. They're addicted to their phones. This is not a problem that is only plaguing the youth. This is also plaguing adults. And so we have to be cognizant of that. We have to be aware of that. We have to do constant muhasaba of ourselves and as adults to see whether we are becoming addicted to our phones and our, our devices and how that's affecting our relationships at home with our children, with our spouses. As adults, we are expected to be more responsible. And, and, and you know, this is part of self-assessment, self-accountability, you know, hasibu anfusakum. As Umar who used to say, that take account of yourselves before you are taken account of by Allah Azza wa Jal. So this is a self-assessment that we need to do regularly. And from time to time, we do need to go on social media fasts. They're very helpful. Social media fasts, right? So no social media for a month, no social media for two weeks, right? Just complete detox. And then take a, take, take a step back, you know, reorient yourself and then come back with, with a plan of how I'm going to be more disciplined in the use of social media. Um, one question that has come is that um, there are a lot of um, divorces that are taking place in the Muslim community. And what, would, what advice would you have in a situation where a mother is raising her child as a single mother, or if there are children who are with, who are living now with either a stepmother or a stepfather, um, and they're struggling just in general, any advice that you would have? I mean, I know it's a very loaded question. Um, it's a very loaded question. But go ahead, Mufti. Um, I tell parents whenever the situation arises, I tell them that uh, understand that there's two elements here. Number one is that your tr the, the parent or that the, the, the spouse is filling their void by getting married again, which is their right. And uh, if that is something that's, uh, that, that you need to do, then you should do it. In terms of the children, them perceiving them as their biological mother and calling them that, that should be left to the child's emotion. Uh, the ask of a step-parent to be treated as such is an unreasonable ask. The reason is, is that even between Sayyidina Fatima radiallahu anha and Aisha radiallahu anha, there were a level of uh, uh, contention. And it's natural in a stepchild uh, with, uh, with their step-parent. So it's natural. 
in order to mitigate those things, I mean, some people have it, some people don't, but in order to mitigate that, my advice is, is that for the child to show those respect, to show that uh, appreciation, but whether should they call them a mom or a dad, that should be left on the child, not on the parent. And secondly, uh, the obligations that that person has is that, again, that person is a spouse to the other person predominantly more than uh, a, a parent to the, uh, to, uh, to the children. Now, if the children are very small and the person is right, it's a different story. I'm talking about adult children who are having the struggle, right, yeah. versus younger children. So everyone's family and situation is reflective on this. But, Sheikh, I think you wanted to add something to this. No, I was going to ask Imam Nadim to, because I know he does a lot of work with, uh, with divorce people and people who are going through it, divorces. It's, I, all I can say, it's a, it's, a, it's a serious challenge because what's happening is that the idea of getting married um, and especially getting married to a woman um, who, brings other who brings children of her own from her previous marriage uh, I've seen cases many times where the mother happens to be put in a very difficult position by her new husband that either you choose your child or you choose me. And I think that's very unfair. And uh, even right now, I'm dealing with a, a case right now that where the father has already said to his, his wife, he has children, his wife has also brought a child uh, into this marriage and he's saying I have no responsibilities towards your child you take care of your child I don't want to spend money on your child and things of that type and I think that you know I I go back to what would Rasulullah do honestly Rasulullah when sitting with the, his own stepson the son of the son of Umm Salama radiallahu anha the hadith mentions that he actually taught him that could be a meaning and, you know, say Bismillah before you eat. This is the Prophet ﷺ teaching, taking his own stepchild, treating him like his own son, teaching him, educating him, eating with him in the same plate. Because that's the only reason why the Prophet would say, Kulbiya, meaning like eat from your side. It shows that the Prophet ﷺ is eating in the same plate with his own stepson. And I think a lot of times we become like, sort of like overzealous about. You know, is this my responsibility? Is it not my responsibility? And I think we got to take a step back and ask, what would Rasulullah do? Would Rasulullah say this to any of his wives that they're your child, I want nothing to do with them? I don't think the Prophet would say something like that. So I think a lot of times we just got to take a step back and ask, what does Allah want from us in this situation? What does the Prophet, what would the Prophet do if, I, if he was in my situation? Would he say the way we say things? I don't think so. And I think that we just got to take a step back and think about that. Um, one question that came up about... Let me just say something. I think you made a very, very important point that, that applies to many other situations as well, not just this particular situation, which is uh, a lot of times people really misunderstand how to use fiqh. Yes. You know, halal and haram and wajib and fard. These are very useful terms. Fiqh is an extremely important subject, right? But fiqh has a place in our deen. The entire deen of Islam does not revolve around fiqh. Okay? When Jibreel came and talked to the Prophet in the form of a human being, asked him multiple questions, right? He asked him about iman, he asked him about Islam, he asked him about ihsan. 
And the Prophet ﷺ, in answering one of those three questions, he said, Al-Islam is that you pray five times a day and then you fast Ramadan and do Hajj. That's fiqh. That's fiqh. But when Jibreel left, the Prophet ﷺ said, he came to teach you your deen. The deen is beyond just fiqh. Is beyond just what is my responsibility, what is wajib on me. You know, the deen of Islam is exactly what the, uh, Imam Nadim said. What would the Prophet ﷺ do? You know, there's certain things that are allowed, they are mubah from a fiqhi perspective, they are mubah. But the Prophet ﷺ never did it. He never did it. And there are things, you know, that the Prophet ﷺ even allowed others to do, but he himself never did it. You know, and there are things that we don't have to do, but the Prophet ﷺ did it. He did it, and he did it regularly. So if we want to practice the deen of Islam, we have to take our discourse beyond what the fiqh says, because the fiqh manuals were primarily written to resolve disputes. Fiqh tells us what to do when things go wrong. Fiqh doesn't, for the most part, doesn't tell us how to live your life. That's what the Prophet ﷺ came to teach us. I'm going to finish on this, inshallah. Uh, there was one question that came up about, again, about... Um, you know, spending time, wasting time, video games and so forth. One thing that I think, if you really just go back to um, this ayah of the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, قَدَ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ Indeed, those who have iman have succeeded. الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ These are people who exert a great level of concentration and devotion in their salat. And then He says, وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنِ اللَّغْوِ مُعْرِضُونَ Those who stay away from اللَّغْوِ And اللَّغْوِ is anything that does not benefit you in this dunya or in the akhirah. So the thing is that, as you know, our two shiuch have said that it's not, you know, and I, you know, by the way, before, um, before the winter break started, I had a lecture among the ladies here at Epic, and that, this is something that I reiterated there many times. What, what we see today is social media does exist, video games do, or does exist. What we need to do is that we got to teach our children the best way to use them. We have to teach our children that whether I'm here or not here, Allah is watching you, okay? Allah is watching you. And you know, one thing that our kids are always afraid of is that their sins being exposed. We got to teach our children too that whatever we do is going to be, there's going to be like a big movie playing, okay? Now, based on your life, it may be PG-13, and, and for some people, <laughs> that life might be rated R, okay? But the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, your life is going to be shown. People are going to find out what you're doing. May Allah, may Allah um, you know, protect us from our sins being exposed on the Day of Judgment. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, cover our sins and our uh, deficiencies uh, on the Day of Judgment. Ameen Rabbil Alameen. But we gotta teach our kids that there is something called accountability. You don't get away with it. And so we teach our kids how to efficiently use these kind of things. And you know, when it gets to the point, here's the point. When it gets to the point where you're missing out salat and you're missing out your your spirituality is draining every single day, you are becoming distant from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that becomes I cannot call it haram perhaps, but I would say it is makru at tahrimi then. 
It becomes makruh tahrimi like this is the level of makruh according to fiqh where it is the closest to haram. It becomes makruh tahrimi because now video games is affecting your spirituality. So that's the key thing and this applies even to uh, social media. And then one question also came is that how do you balance everything out? You know the best thing I did in my own life is a lot of times we complain about time. We don't have time to do this, to do that. I've learned that when you try to do 50 things at one time, you don't succeed in doing one single thing. Here's the thing. Um, I always give this advice. If you're sitting at home, like, let's just say you have to take care of 50 different things. Take one thing at a time, knock it out, and just focus on that. Look, Rasulullah ﷺ, there was no one who was more busier and who had a greater responsibility than Rasulullah We all know that. Yet Rasulullah he was able to fulfill everyone else's rights. There was no one, there was not, you know, do you th think about this for a moment, how, what an amazing person Rasulullah was, that not every single Sahabi thought that Rasulullah loves me the most. Like today, we have in one family, children will say that my parents show more love and affection to one over the other. And they grow up with this sibling rivalry and it affects a lot of times their life down the road. Here you have Rasulullah sitting with thousands of the Sahaba and each, he treated each Sahabi in such a way that each Sahabi felt that the Prophet loves me the most. Amazing. I, it blows my mind. Well, I don't know how the Prophet did it. But one thing that we learn is you study his entire life and you will see that there was a balance. He had time for every single thing, but during that time, that's all that he would do. That's all that he would do. And you've heard me saying this, even when it comes to your own muhasaba, take out time every single day, give your 10-15 minutes, but do one thing at a time. Rasulullah he would wake up in the morning for Salatul, before Salatul Fajr, for his tahajjud and so forth, that was his time for spirituality. Then after Salatul Fajr, was time for community. He will not do anything else during that time besides that. That's how you start striking a balance. Don't do 50 things at one time. If it's time, in my job as an imam, I have to respond to emails, I have to respond to calls, I have to respond, there are, there are divorce cases all the time I'm dealing with and so forth. But what I do is that I take out one hour at a time, one hour for this, one hour for that, one hour for this, one hour for that. And alhamdulillah, I've seen a difference in my life. Now I know that one time I can sit down, I will knock out 50 emails at one time rather than if I'm doing a call and an email and this and that, there's barakah is going to be taken out from your time. So this is something that we learn even for the, for the Prophet Every single part of the day, there was a time structured and there was a time dedicated for one particular cause. And during that, he would do nothing but exactly that. And it will affect your life, inshallah, if you focus. Even if you go home, even if you go home and you sit down and you give time to your family, even you give two hours, you put away your phone, even if you give two hours, trust me, your family will be happy. Your family will be happy because you gave quality time. It's not about the amount of time, it's about quality. You give that one or two hours. I'm still struggling with that at home. I'm, I'll, be say, I'll say that I'm still struggling with that because as an imam, I go home, people need me from the community and so forth. But now slowly and gradually, I'm trying to bring that habit into my life. Just like I've seen and I've learned from our Prophet Give time but give a dedicated time and things will fall in place inshallah. I think that's part of ihsan, isn't it? Yes. ihsan ala kulli shay. That whatever we are doing, we do it with ihsan. And 
the only way you can do it is what Imam Nadim said, right? So no matter what it is that we're doing, we focus on it, we get that out of the way, then we do the next thing, then we do the next thing. And just because there's something going on, there's, there should be certain things in your life that are not negotiable. Like for example, prayer, salah on time, non-negotiable. No matter what is happening, I'm going to pray my salah on time. I'll close with this inshallah, I'll hand it back to you. That you know, when the Arab Spring happened, uh, and I was in Egypt, the, uh, you know, the, after the initial shock, and then when Husni Mubarak uh, stepped down, and the durus resumed, the classes resumed, and it was election season for the first time, Egypt having uh, democratic elections, every class that we went to, pretty much, right? the professor would somehow segue into talking about current events, right? The permissibility of demonstrations and protests, uh, the permissibility of running for elections, right? Uh, is what's happening in, in Libya and Tunisia, is this, uh, is this uh, rebellion that Islam teaches, uh, you know, just segue into all this. Every, it's, like a, it's like a Desi Dawat. <laughs> every class used to tend to do that. But I had one sheikh, subhanAllah, I had one sheikh, and he used to teach us usul al-fiqh and mantiq, logic and, and aqidah. And we would go to his dars, and from the beginning to the end, completely focused on the book. There's not a single comment about what is going on in Sa'ad Tahrir, in Midan al-Tahrir, right, the protests that are going on. Not a single comment, focused, you want to talk to me about politics, come to me before the dars or after the three-hour dars. But I'm not going to mention any political comment about what's going on, even though everybody is talking about it. That's what we're talking about. That's how we find balance. There are certain things that are not negotiable, right? We started out by saying that what are some of the biggest challenges that we have faced in COVID? Well, COVID is an ibtila. It's a trial. It's a tribulation. Tribulations will come and go. They cannot, they cannot swerve us from things that are non-negotiable in our lives. We have to stick to the Qur'an. We have to stick to our awrad. We have to stick to our worship. We have to stick to our families. We have to make time out for them. These are things that are non-negotiable. No COVID or no COVID. COVID or no COVID. We have to make sure that we stick to them, these tests will come and go. This is how we're going to retain balance in our lives, and this is how we're going to find success, I believe. Wallahu ta'ala. May Allah, um, inshallah, we'll go ahead and wrap it up here. Um, I asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there were some few other questions, I apologize. Uh, they were not, we're not able to get to all of them. Um, but I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that to grant us immense amount of barakah in our life. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to always do what is right, to stay away from what is wrong. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us every good that Muhammad sallallahu has ever asked for. May Allah protect us. Uh, from, every, from every evil and harm that Muhammad Sallallahu has ever sought protection from. I ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala uh, to protect us, our Iman, the Iman um, of our upcoming generations. May Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala make them, um, make, uh, bring about from them uh, influencers who will influence um, future generations in a positive way. We ask Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to give our youth the best, inshallah, our young men, our young women. May Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala make them into to gems inshallah and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for our current day generation that is here may Allah give us the tawfiq to serve his deen with ikhlas and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, 
uh, grant us afiyah in all of our matters. Ameen, Rabbil Alameen. Jazakumullah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Inna Allah wa malaikatahu yusalluna ala nabi Ya إن الذين يؤذون الله ورسوله لعنهم الله في الدنيا والآخرة وأعد لهم عذابا مهينا والذين يؤذون المؤمنين والمؤمنات بغير ما اكتسبوا فقد احتملوا بهتانا وإثما مبينا Oh,